Caution. The contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. Today we took our inspiration from an offhanded comment in our last episode, and we decided to look into Tchaikovsky's Symphony Number no. 6, the Pathetique Symphony. I'm feeling pretty pathetic right now. <laughs> yes, our sad boy Asa is a little bit sick, so forgive the <laughs> forgive difference the husky of voice. voice. <laughs> but we'll push through for you, our dear listeners. Yes, indeed. Now, we're actually planning to look at the entire symphony, but it's a little bit of a long one, so we'll be breaking up into a couple different episodes. Maybe two, maybe three. We'll see how the next episode goes and if I can kick this cough. But for now, (laughs) we'll just be going into a little background of the piece and exploring the first movement today. And if you'd like some biographical info on Tchaikovsky himself, not just his symphony, please delve into our back catalog of episodes as we have talked about him at quite some length in the past. So this symphony was a long time coming for Tchaikovsky. He first planned to write a grand and elaborate program symphony to top all his others way back in 1889. Now, Tchaikovsky did quite a bit of sketching of such a symphony in the early 1890s. However, he scrapped most of this reused some bits in a piano concerto, and then set to work once again to make something better. And that something better came in 1893 with the premiere of the Sixth Symphony. Tchaikovsky was terribly pleased with this work, and had written to several friends and family members about it leading up to the premiere. In particular, he was tickled with his novel idea to not have the final movement end with a big raucous spectacle, but rather to fade contemplatively away. How novel. We'll, of course, get to the final Adagio movement in one of the next couple episodes. Now, I joke, that was actually novel for the time. (laughs) I'm sure we could find some other examples somewhere. But regardless, Tchaikovsky also wanted this to be a programmatic work, but he wrote it with a, quote, secret program. So he had a story in his head about what it's all about, but this was never actually published in the programs, and Tchaikovsky never divulged the whole thing to any of his confidants. There is just a subtitle that was added, which is full of pathos, impassioned, passionate, emotional. So definitely we now know it by the name pathétique, which is in French for emotions. Tchaikovsky noted that at the premiere of the work, people didn't dislike it, but they just seemed a little bit confused. And unfortunately, Tchaikovsky never saw it rise to the fame that it now has as he passed away just over a week after the premiere. The circumstances of his death, deserved discussion, are mysterious indeed. The official cause is noted as cholera. Apparently there was an outbreak of cholera at the time, and it's possible that Tchaikovsky could have consumed unboiled water that spread the pathogen to him. However, Some people discredit this hypothesis, saying that Tchaikovsky, being of upper middle class by this time, would have had access to better water and should have known the steps to take to protect himself. 
However, germs really don't care about your class. If you're there and they're there, they're gonna get you anyway. Now, Tchaikovsky was, of course, prone to intense emotions, particularly long and crippling bouts with depression. Some people speculate that he may have actually committed suicide, and the cholera diagnosis was a story that was actually put forth by his family to try and stifle any resulting scandals. However, this theory has also been questioned, as the letters that Tchaikovsky was sending leading up to the premiere of his work seemed to come from a, quote, happy Tchaikovsky, not one that was in the deep feels. Unfortunately, we may never know the truth of this matter. Regardless, a lot of people were shocked and saddened by Tchaikovsky's sudden passing, including the Tsar Alexander III, who had a state funeral recognized for him. The Sixth Symphony had its second performance at Tchaikovsky's funeral, and in some ways it was a very fitting soundtrack. Some people say it's almost like Tchaikovsky was writing his own Requiem. Similar, in some ways perhaps, to Mozart's own untimely passing. Mm-hmm, he was working on a Requiem at the same time as well. Earlier, though, of oh, course. Yes. <laughs> now, that was a lot of heavy stuff, so let's move on to the music and see what other kinds of emotions Tchaikovsky can bring up, shall we? Yes. The piece starts out with a low note held in the string basses that a forlorn bassoon solo gracefully slides over. We're starting off pretty dark with B minor right now. Soon we get out of the introduction and into the Allegro non troppo section. We're still in that B minor and the strings are actually mimicking that bassoon solo but with now a more upbeat feel with actually some 16th note decorations. Throughout this piece, as well as most of Tchaikovsky's music, we will get several instances of a motif being passed around the orchestra, but it's not always lowest to highest or vice versa. For instance, here we have the flutes coming out of a little bit of melody with a downward scale, followed by the first violins, then the clarinets, and then the cellos, so mostly all higher pitched instruments to start out with. Now this motif, not a light motif, it could have something to do with Tchaikovsky's hidden program that was never divulged. Mm, perhaps. Maybe a character or a scene in his head. <laughs> and of note, in other symphonies of Tchaikovsky's, he has had a fate motif that he has definitely named. So I think it's fair to say that this is representative of something or someone, of course. Now, another thing Tchaikovsky loves to do is throw off our sense of the downbeat. For example, here he has a downward scale that begins on the upbeat of beat three, but the way it so forcefully comes through in the woodwinds for a split second may make the listener feel that this is the downbeat instead. As we 
move through this piece, we really are getting quite a mix of emotions. Here, the woodwinds play a 16th note motif that is more major sounding and lighthearted than we've gotten thus far. However, the strings respond in a much more minor way still. It really starts to show the internal emotional dialogue that Tchaikovsky must have constantly been having with himself. And then, this lighthearted melody is suddenly transformed into a brass fanfare that sounds like judgment from the gods. And although there was passion in the emotion here, Tchaikovsky slowly walks the orchestra back from the break, having sections slowly fade away until just the cellos and violas have their time to shine. And with that, we move into the next section of the piece marked on Dante. This is a much more relaxed section with a gentle downward eighth note melody. Perhaps the audience has been getting all worked up in the prior section, unconsciously holding their breath. But now there is a little time to breathe deeply, relax the tension, and just forget all those worries for a moment. Also, we're in D major now instead of that B minor. It's amazing what just moving the tonic up a third can do. And while listening to that section, in the background there are lovely chorale chords in the low strings, low woodwinds, and brass. And almost every measure is notated to crescendo during the first two beats and decrescendo during the second two beats, which is really giving that effect of breathing slowly in and out. The next section within this andante bit features a rhythmically interesting motif. There are upward triplets, but downward sixteenth notes that overlap between each instrument playing them. This gives the effect, perhaps, of improvisation. Also, some background brass instruments have an upward scale in quarter notes. Again, Tchaikovsky makes us think he switched the time signature by starting the scale on beat 2, and it doesn't quite resolve on the next downbeat as we would like it to. 
As the section goes on, the strings come in with pulsing repeated eighths and sixteenth notes, and the woodwinds have unified into a unison statement. This all culminates with the unison woodwinds playing a downward quarter note scale before Tchaikovsky actually does change the time signature. The new time signature is 12-8, so in all reality, this doesn't really change much as the same peaceful melody from before is played in the strings, with the woodwinds and horns pulsing eighth note beats in the background. We do get an increase in the drama though, with the strings having a sweeping 32nd note run upward to play the melody in an upper register. Also, the harmonies underneath are much more heart-wrenching than peaceful now. But Tchaikovsky, yet again, is good at bringing the tension back down. He's taken this little dotted quarter-eighth motif that was set up and has it sway back and forth between the same harmonies a few times as more and more of the background sections fade away, almost like a lullaby. And out of this quiet setup, the clarinet has a solo of our downward eighth melody, perhaps the most peaceful it sounded yet. In fact, by the end of the clarinet solo, Tchaikovsky has written super ultra duper pianissimo, which is <laughs> piano with five P's, and that's the technical term, music <laughs> theorists. Absolutely. Um, or maybe he's just making up dynamics right now. <laughs> Now, brace yourself, because after all of that loveliness, Tchaikovsky comes and smacks us with an A-diminished 7 chord in our next section of the piece marked Allegro Vivo. We have a new motif featuring unison strings, 
focusing on disjointed eighth notes for maximum impact. The orchestra in general feels a little disjointed here, a bit reminiscent of the Nutcracker's battle with the Rat King. But out of the chaos, we finally get some unity with the brass making some very declaratory statements while the rest of the orchestra plays ever-moving 16th notes. get to quiet down again, this time with actually passing the motif from high to low. The next bit we have is the low brass quietly playing what sounds like a hymn, and that's because it is. This is the melody to the Russian chant, with thy saints, O Christ, give peace to the soul of thy servant. Like any good development section in a symphony, we have to take a bit of melody and morph it into many different iterations. Here, Tchaikovsky has taken just the first three notes of the very first melody that the strings played way back at the beginning of the movement. And then it starts to build up more and more. And we return to some polyrhythm. The brass has a decidedly triplet-based fanfare going on while the strings and woodwinds are much more square in their duple meter. Then the woodwinds and strings take over the background with wavering 16th notes, and the brass plays a downward motif that signals some impending doom. And from here, the orchestra is just full of strife. There are so many diminished chords, and it seems a resolution will never come. a resolution here, but in just the next measure, we move a few notes down chromatically to a new key, which it's actually just a quick modulation back to our original B minor. Now this chord fades out to piano. 
Then Tchaikovsky hits us again with another fortissimo chord that gets its turn to fade out. So it's almost like repeated distant church bells. Now, almost unsettlingly after this doom and gloom, the sweet andante melody from before comes back. But now it has almost a cloying nature since we didn't get a good calming resolution from our previous strife. But as it moves forward, we get wrapped back up in its romantic harmonies. And now the violins are providing some more elaboration on this theme, focusing on the ending phrase with the dotted 8th 16th resolution. and we get this sweet clarinet solo once again to let us know it's all okay. <laughs> the clarinet will always tell us that it's all okay. Indeed. And from here, we don't have the jump scare again. Rather, the trumpets continue on in the peaceful resolution that we've set up. So now, rather than being harbingers of terror, the brass sounds like a glorious sunset after a storm. All the while in the background, the strings just have little pizzicato eights on the downbeats, just tiptoeing around. And the final chord is a simple B major chord. Yes, somewhere along here we had modulated from B minor to B major. So remember, that's just one movement of this whole symphony, and there was so much going on. Even mm -hmm. without an explicit story that Tchaikovsky was sharing with us, you can tell that the piece has some logical narrative or programmatic development, which I think is very mm -hmm. cool to hear. Even yeah. though it doesn't end with a bang, 
I guess you could say it had a lot of bangs in it. Oh, absolutely. Now, maybe not as much as like his 1812 overture, which literally yes. had cannons in it. But yes, that is the uh, bangiest of classical of pieces. Yes. You know, we should rate classical, bombastic classical pieces based on the number of bangs they have. And I think that the only contestants would be Tchaikovsky and Mahler. Yeah, but... I was going to say it would be... <laughs> oh, wait, no, we could put Holst in there because he has like the anvil in the Song of the Blacksmith. He does. Oh, an anvil chorus from what's its name? Is that Verde Opera? Oh gosh. Um, I'm gonna look it up right now. Okay, yeah. Okay, I guess let's compile yeah, a list Verde. of Verde. pieces. Thank you. Oh yay! Um, we'll compile a list of pieces that have loud bangs in them, and we'll rate them at some point. If we're Maybe ever be our so hard episode. up for content, <laughs> we have to do that. Please, please write to us, listener. Give us more suggestions and do also like follow share uh wherever you get your podcasts that's spotify google play itunes apple podcasts the cough is ruining my brain i can't think of anything else <laughs> and share and share our uh, wonderful show with anyone but that you think this might week enjoy it's it. the cough bee house until next time for the Coffee House Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. Tchaikovsky's Symphony No. 6 was performed by the University of Chicago Orchestra, conducted by Barbara Schubert. You can find the Coffee House on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. 